Well, Chelsea and I were visiting with a young couple, and I'm glad she mentioned the church in the way she did, because in mentioning their dislike of church, I realized they had no clue, because they were thinking of an experience that I won't describe back in early years. And you know what, church, I want you to understand this. We're not that experience. We're a group of people that love each other. And I'm not pointing my finger toward anybody else. I'm just saying here, we love one another. And we do things with each other, for each other. This church goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <coughs> Somewhere, wherever you are, there is church. And that's different. And be, be quick to point out the differences. I'm one of those guys, those of you that don't know me, I'm one of those guys that, that truly believes that God speaks to me. And if you don't believe he does, that's all right. My God's bigger than that. But I, as we were praying for Trent, <coughs> I, believe, I believe God said that there's some that believe this could never happen. <laughs> Trent, I want you to know I'm not that person. My God's big. My God is big. My God is big, Trent. You hear me? He's big enough. Lenny, he's big enough. Man, do you feel that? The sense of his presence is talking about how big he is? I'm glad that my God's big. But you know what? I've chosen to live that way. The doubts come to everybody. What are you going to embrace? How are you going to live? If God is unable, I don't need him. You say, that's arrogant? Maybe, but it's true. Think about it for a minute. God is able, period. That's where we began. That's where we live. I've been spending the last two days of this week and I can't even tell you which version of Scripture says this because a lot of the newer ones don't. But in, I believe it's in the Psalms in one of the early versions. It says, Behold the goodness and graciousness of your God. And I feel like I've been living in that this week. I've, I've been doing some traveling among the churches because there are some situations that are, that have, they just need attention. Let's just put it that way. And as I've touched base with those people, I've realized that God is at work already and that he's doing something already and that things are happening already. I've been on the phone with some church leaders this morning just because I was concerned. I knew, what, I knew that they'd been blindsided by some things and that life had happened. And so touching bases with them. And you know what? They're doing fine. Behold the goodness and graciousness of your God. Talking briefly with Rafa, and the reason I did was because yesterday, their response to the cartels shooting Lalo was they went out into one of the roughest border cities in Mexico and had an outreach right in the open park and just glorified God. <laughs> Take that, devil. <laughs> Isn't that dangerous? Yeah, but what's the worst that could happen? They get to be as God too. <laughs> Just so proud of them, you know. They stand up. Yeah, they took. They reeled for a little while, and then they stood up and said, "Oh no, this is not going to stop." And here they go. That's God's God's people. Behold the goodness and graciousness of your God. Hallelujah. I've been so pleased as. As I've observed the goings-on and the happenings around the death of some really important people to people in our church. And uh, realizing the importance to God of a life well lived. And it, all of these guys, we've got uh, Lalo Garcia, we got Larry Smorier, we got Vernon Cox, which is Mary's dad. All of them died in the faith. 
And I'm, this is important to this message is why I'm, why I'm saying this as we're addressing faith. But all of these guys died in the faith and all of them were serving God to the best of their ability where they were. Lalo literally shaking an entire region in the state of Chihuahua in Mexico. An entire region. One man deciding, oh no, I'm not bowing to this thing. I'm not hiding out. I'm going to live big. Live it for God. And I'm, I'm telling you, he's got what, 200 and something pastors now that are rising up around that city to follow in his footsteps. And he was the only one to start with about uh, nine or ten years ago, something like that. I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, Larry Schmoyer lived a godly life for more years than I've known him. And I'm sure there are people around that would uh, try to talk trash about him because he was a businessman, he kept contracts, he'd done what was necessary. I'm sure there's those people out there, but I don't know those people. I know the ones that were greatly affected by a quiet man that just served God, and every time you'd run up against something, Larry would be right there saying, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And I, that testimony came out time and time again, and people attended his funeral from literally all over this nation. And then we got Mary's dad. Quietly lived his life as a man of God. And such a witness that people gave in that funeral home talking about how he was always available to help. Hardworking man. Wanted to keep the building wherever he was attending church. He wanted to keep that building looking good. He wanted to keep it in shape. And when somebody would talk to him about how difficult it was, he had that common statement. It'll work out. It'll be okay. These things are significant in the kingdom of God, and this is demonstrative of a life of faith. You see, a lot of times we want to think that faith is that thing that, that is always someday going to do the impossible, going to somehow come out of, of, of let's go ahead and say it, going to somehow come out of Kirksville, Missouri, out of, out of almost just national obscurity and somehow burst forth on the national international scene and see a move of God around you. That's presumption, folks. It's not faith. What's God doing with you right now? What's your next step in Him? Why can't, instead of looking at that and wondering when, when is God ever going to move, why not realize that God is moving? What's that little song say? I, I think Rodney Brown's the one that wrote this one. God is moving by his spirit, moving all over the earth. Yeah, signs and wonders in his name. But the thing is, he's moving all over the earth. More Christians alive on the earth right now than have been saved in all the years previously. But we've got to recognize the, the Spirit of God in them to realize that they're Christians and that they're not like us. Thank God they're not. Thank God there's another expression of His Spirit out there that can by some means reach somebody I can't reach. God is moving by His Spirit all over the earth. There are, there are the occasional signs and wonders. But mostly it's day by day working out of things in the Spirit of God that makes things happen. And I want to be one of those guys that when I die, that's all they can say about me is he's faithful. That's all. And it's not, not a great worldwide ministry and all of that, but this was a faithful man. He loved his family. He loved his neighbors. He loved where he lived. Folks, what a tremendous testimony these people have been in the earth. I... I was so impressed. I, I talked to Mary briefly before the funeral, and, and this lady, we know Mary, she's, she's like her dad. She's faithful. She's a servant. And uh, she had nothing to say about her dad except that he was a good, faithful man when I was talking to her. And so I was thinking about that as I went back and sat down, so much so that I was seeing the crowd in general, not individuals, and I didn't even notice that Mary and Betty were there in the crowd, but I was looking at the crowd in general, and I was listening to God. Yeah, he talks to me. He does. And I was listening to him, and he said, I just love these people. And you know what? They're not our expression. Most of them that were there were not here, not our expression, but they love God. And they were doing everything they knew to serve him as they know him.
The way you see him is the way you'll serve him. Hear me? But they were serving him. And as I looked across that crowd, there's some of them that I knew from, from talking with Mary and Randy that they're not trying to serve God, but they're on the fringes and they're looking. And I was looking at them and God said, you know, I really love them too. And I began to realize that God is saying something here. He's not all engaged in heaven someday. He's not all engaged. He don't have his tool belt, belt on building mansions. He's got his spirit moving throughout the whole earth. God is moving by his spirit over all the earth. And even that funeral was going to be a draw to those that were on the fringes because that funeral gave witness to a man that had very calmly and quietly lived his life for God and affected his generations. If you're the first generation serving God in your family, God's promise to you is that will go into 1,000 generations. You hear me? You won't get it perfect, but your next generation will get it a little bit better. And the next generation a little bit better. And the next generation a little bit better. You say, oh, but the rapture is going to happen. Let's forget that for a little bit. And understand that God said that your godliness would go into a thousand generations. I want to live it the best I can. You know, if my generation spiritually and naturally are going to do it just a little better than me, man, I want to do it well. To compel them to do it a little better. Here's the other thing, though. If you have come out of evil generations and you're pondering which way to go and which way to step, the decision will be made for you about the third generation from you because the, the young will get so restless with the inactivity and their own thirst for godliness that they'll start looking for ways out. And somewhere in that third or fourth generation, they will be drawn to the Spirit of God and they'll start to change it. And then their promise will be unto a thousand generations. Yes, for four generations, you march it, you, you read the history, mark it, study it. For four generations, you can see the degeneration when somebody is evil. You see the degeneration of the generations until about the third one. And the degeneration is still there, but by this time, the offspring are very dissatisfied because there's something so hungry in them. That they're looking and they're, they're questioning. And here's why I'm saying this is we're living in about the third generation of inherent evil in this country. And I'm telling you there's a hungry generation around us. They don't look like mom and dad look spiritually, but they're hungry for something that's real. And God is moving by his spirit all over the earth. And I'm telling you they're going to be coming. And we can either get ready to receive them and begin to help them and to move them on, or we can let it go by us like the Jewish people did when Jesus appeared. But he's coming because he's drawing a generation to himself. This is faith. This is what it looks like. This is the walk of faith. I want to... I've, as I've already begun, I want to consider the realities of a life lived in faith this morning. I'm going to start with Hebrews 11:6, But let me begin before I read that by saying faith cannot, hear me, faith cannot be a difficult thing. Why? Because we don't serve a God that holds the proverbial carrot out that we can never reach. He's not that kind of God. If you will begin by considering the basic truth that God is good, then everything changes. But instead of starting with the beginning of the story, we try to begin in the middle of the story and look at all of our circumstances. And by that, make an analytical decision that for me to feel better about my lostness, God must somehow be willing this evil thing upon me for my growth we make those kind of decisions and we decide on that basis who God is when all the time he's saying now come on begin with the fact that God is good and everything good everything mature everything perfect comes from him anything else it's not God it's not God you can clearly identify the work of the enemy by that basic concept and I begin with God is good. I'm going to mess with your 
emotion a little bit, certainly with mine and, and Leslie's anyway, but as we watched Leslie's mother die, there was something in me knew that that could not be God because he's not that kind of God. That somebody has to die with their body all eaten up and twisted and messed up. That's not God. And even in that moment, I could come out of that with my mind clear as to who my enemy was. And that's the way we have to approach every situation of life, to live by faith. I detest the doctrine that has been developed out of the book of Job. I'm telling you that we serve under a better covenant with better promises, with precious blood covering it. And I... I I appreciate the book of Job. I appreciate the way it turned out. I, but I'm not going to develop my doctrine there. I, I get irritated when I hear people tell other people, well, somewhere in this disease is the will of God. No, 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 no. He heals all your diseases. Forget not all his benefits. And if you start there, well, why is not everybody healed? That's not my business. My business is that I have a good God. And in that, I walk by faith. Whew. I don't know what's happening back there, but it feels good up here. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Thank you, Lord. Now, with no intent of doing damage to the kingdom of God, there's been damage done to the kingdom of God. Simply by making faith so complicated that you build an entire ministry on the concept that you are in charge of building your faith. No, you're in charge of engaging faith at the level where you are right now. Faith comes, look at the next word, uh, Romans 12, verse 3, through grace, through the grace given to me, I say that to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, because God has allotted the measure of faith to every man, the measure of faith. So yes, it'd be easy to make it difficult and, and to condemn ourselves saying, well, without faith I can't please him, but wait. Deep within who you are, your very basic makeup is a measure of faith that God gave it to you because he knew you'd need it and because it's just natural for the human being. So in among all the doubt, in among all the doctrinal mess, in among all of that, somewhere deep in you is a little bit of faith. And if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It don't take much faith, folks, to move the hand of God. And he's allotted to you that measure of faith. It's there. You just got to work at it and uncover it. Somewhere at the core of who you are, there is faith. Somewhere in the core of who you are, there's an ability to reach beyond the circumstance into the realm of the Father and lay hold of something. And between you and him, work it and bring it into your world. Somehow, it's in you. It's a little bit mystical, but we are made to embrace the mystical. It's a little bit challenging, but it's the glory of God. It's the God ascribing worth to his people. It's, it shows the approval of God on humankind when he conceals a matter. But it's the glory of kings. We're kings and priests in this world. It's the glory of people to engage and to uncover it. He put it there. He told us how this works. That yeah, there's going to be some, some uncertainty of how to move forward. But that's because I believe, and I'm just saying from God's perspective, that's because he believes that you will engage it, and then he'll show it to you. But that's to be your life, is the engaging of the things of God, knowing that he then will become engaged and unveil it and bring it into your world. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Kirksville, as it is in your room. Down on 7 Overbrook Drive, just like it is in his world.
Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done at Trent and Lenny's house just like it is in the heavenlies. I'm telling you what, you take a walk down his street, no sickness, no disease, no depression, no unhappiness. His will be done. Some people would say, oh, you're giving them a hope that can't be reached. Oh, no. I'm saying what God has said and saying, reach for the hope, man. Reach for it. Reach for it. Reach for it. And God will do something in you. (laughs) This is what living by faith is all about, folks. I've, I've felt the talons of the Spirit to make this series as simple as possible, and I hope I'm doing that because this is just everyday life. This is the way we live. Now, go with me in your mind to the children of Israel as they left Egypt. As I look over the crowd, I'm pretty sure that everybody here is going to at least know what I'm talking about. These people, through an act of God, were allowed to leave Egypt. And this just boggles the religious mind. I, it makes me smile. Matter of fact, it makes me like God even more. And he said, oh, guys, by, by the way, on your way out, grab all the jewelry and all the gold stuff you see and take it with you. God wouldn't do that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Boy, I like him, don't you? <laughs> wow, what a God. They went out with the supply for the entire trip. It takes somewhere between 10 days for a person in a normal walking pattern, somewhere between 10 days and two weeks, to cross over the Red Sea and walk to the Jordan River. But Israel was out there 40 years. Why? Because when they got there, they wouldn't cross. Now let's think about why. First of all, they took God's supply And they'd been 400 years now as slaves and all they saw was the produce of of their own hands, what they could be driven to produce and what what the culture of Egypt drove them to produce. It's all they saw. And so now they've got all of this wealth that they brought out with them, which would have certainly, it would have hired people to help them or give them rides across the desert if that's what they wanted. It would have hired armies to protect them if that's what they wanted. It would have built houses in the desert if that's what they wanted. But instead, they melted it all down and made an idol, a work of their own hands, and began to dance around that and worship it. And Aaron, their spiritual leader, helped them do it. Now, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of doctrine in our, in our nation that has begun to worship and glorify the work of the hands. And it has distracted people from the worship of God. But just, just follow this and, and think about it. How they wandered in the desert. And you follow that, that Bible history there, you'll find that they wandered in the desert angry at God. Angry at Moses, their leader. Angry at each other. Complaining, murmuring, ha- having all kinds of problems. But here's the wonderful thing. God never left them. You see, he committed to them when he brought them out of Egypt. And he never left them. They still had the cloud. They still had the pillar of fire. That cloud that overcovered them. That cloud was uh, something that, it wasn't like a cloudy sky, but it's something that gave them direction and protection even though they weren't doing what they, they weren't seeing themselves as they should see themselves in the desert, yet God stayed with them. That pillar of fire That's the best way they could describe it. It gave them light, it gave them warmth, but it didn't burn up anything. But can you imagine those desert warriors and those those desert thieves and so forth that were out there in their little bands hiding from society when they would approach this some, a lot of people, I forgot to do my research on that, but there were a lot of people that left Egypt. And I'm sure you could hear them for a long ways off, but when they would approach thinking of taking what Israel had, Man, there's a big pillar of fire right there with them. Maybe it'd be best to leave them alone. Maybe it'd be best to just let them go on across. 
And on and on it goes. And you find that God worked for them. He, he caused them to win battles. And he stayed with them because he had made a commitment, but they had not seen themselves as he seen them. There's something about it when you begin to worship what you can accomplish, give worth to the work of your hands, give work, worth to what you can accomplish. It does something in you, and you can't see yourself as you really are because you begin to see yourself as never having enough. You see yourself as never being quite able of never measuring up why because you're worshiping what you can produce yourself you're giving worth to that so when Israel got to the Red Sea and they said there's giants in that land they couldn't see themselves as being able to go over there and overcome that and they didn't understand that it was God that got them this far they didn't see Moses as able they didn't see themselves as able they didn't see Aaron as able so they remained unable and they circled around for 40 years yet God was faithful what am I saying in that? God is faithful to you. Did he bring you out? Do you have a testimony of, I was blind, but now I see. I was living in sin, but now I'm not. Do you have that testimony? But do you have that testimony that says, I can go in and overcome? I can do this. I, I, can, I can become what God wants me to do. Israel was fed every morning by a substance called manna. A very interesting substance. And there are several, uh, out of the language as it developed, there are several uses for that and several things they say about manna. But literally the word means, let me get it right here, substance that gives witness. Substance that gives witness. That when they went out every morning, there was a substance, a physical substance. And it gave witness to the fact that it came from somewhere. They'd never seen anything like it. They didn't really know what it was. And so they called it manna. But because they didn't know what it was, that word came to mean in Hebrew language as it developed. What is it? Now think about that for a minute. They go out and they pick this up and they feel this unction. Uh, to every man is given his measure of faith. They feel this Maybe we should taste it. They tasted it. It tasted good. They ate it. It gave them sustenance. Because of the faith that was in them, they tried it. Something they didn't know where it came from. But all through those desert years when they were wondering and not seeing themselves as the children of God, but still seeing themselves as slaves that had just been brought out, all through those desert years, every time they woke up, there was manna. When they crossed over into the promise, no more manna. Think about that. Now God says, I'm giving you houses you didn't build. I'm giving you gardens you didn't plant. I'm giving you cities that has already been built. I'm giving you the power to go in and possess this land. You're going to, through faith, you're going to produce that which causes you and gives you sustenance. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In our day, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Spirit of God to indwell us and work us, faith is the manna. Faith is that thing that, that we grab hold of that God provides every day to go out and cause this earth to produce and bring it into subjection as he intended, not to you so much, to the kingdom of heaven, to his kingdom. You see, the kingdom is established and it's always been in existence. It's in another realm. But he says, I'll let you bring it to your world. And you can rule and reign. I made you for that. You can have dominion, not over other people. That's what, that's what twisted. We try to have dominion over others. He said, no, you have dominion over the fowls of the air, over the fish of the sea, over what the soil can produce. I give you dominion. You can rule. And he's reestablishing that in these days, bringing a people to the place of saying, I'm going to go and find what's in me and begin to lay hold of God's promise and cause it to happen. We'll talk more next Sunday about those things. But I hope you're beginning to see this, that even in the desert, God's presence was tangible because of him. But when they crossed over and began to hear his voice and obey it again, then something began to happen, and, and something supernatural. I mean, they just, 
it sounded like so much foolishness when, when, they, when God said, now I want you to get out every day and I want you to march around the walls of Jericho. Be quiet, but walk around the wall. That's so stupid. But they did it. And he said, but on that seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times, and at the end of that seventh time, I want you to shout. Just shout of victory, like kind of like run out, run out on Golgotha that day. Jesus cried out. And the words that he cried out in the, in, the, in the arena of the Roman Empire where they would have competitions, it was the cry of the winner. He, he cried out, it is finished. That's what they would cry out in the arena when they, would, when they would kill the lion or when they would kill each other, the victor. It's finished. No more battle. Hear me, folks. Not, not engaging in the battle. Jesus did that. But engaging in faith and saying, no, devil, you do what you want to. I'm laying hold of what God has shown me, and I'm bringing that into my world. I know it flies in the face of modern doctrine. That's what my intent is, to show you faith's not difficult. Faith is not some kind of a struggle in the heavenlies. Hey, that happened. Jesus said, I saw Satan engage God. And like lightning, he cast him down. Wasn't even a battle. Boom. Done. I like God, I'm telling you. He, he, man, if he was a man, I'd say he's a man's man, but he's not. He's God. But mixed among it all in the Old Testament record were these parallels of fear and faith. The opposite of faith is not unbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. And you have that war going in you because of the fall. It, it's going on in there. there. There's always a choice. Fear is marked when we refuse to believe what God has said. And it's when we embrace the negative side of what if. What if it doesn't work? What if, what if I die? On and on. But we have the option of embracing the positive side of what if. What if God really is a God of integrity? What if he really is able to do anything? What if he really will speak to me and I can truly understand? How does that change my world? And we live in that, in that tension of, of always having to make those choices, but we have that choice before us. The words of the serpent. Now let me, let me clarify that. In the Garden of Eden, the, the, most of our translations in English says that the serpent spoke to Eve. By the time the Bible was actually placed in written form, the word that's translated serpent was often used just as a descriptive term for other human beings. I'm not saying that a human spoke to her in the garden. Don't get, stay with me here. But have you ever heard the term a snake in the grass? We use that, and that, that's kind of what it was. It, this was. By this time, it was used in a way that, uh, to describe a being that had the nature of a snake that would slither around undetected and then suddenly rise up and scare you half to death and, and then go back down. And that, That's what it was used of this, by the time it was written. Now, whatever this being was, which we know it was, uh, it's identified as a... a um, just a manifestation of darkness or of Satan or whatever. We know that. But anyway, this thing said to Eve, has God really said? And you know what? He don't have any new tricks. He's not creative. That's been taken away from him. He's just, all he's got is to try to mimic what God does. That's all he's got. Yeah, he's still using that same old trick. You hear God... A split second later, because of your humanity, you're starting to ask yourself, well, did God really speak to me? Did God really say that? There's where your choice lies. You can wrestle with, did God really say all your life? Or you can say, shut up. God said. God spoke. I'm moving with that. You say, well, what if it doesn't work? What if it does? Live on that side of the what if. What if it does work? Think, just like man, the worship day in the park, or the service day in the park. Part of me wants to, wants to just bow to the social and, and cultural order that says you never close down 
the house of God. Do we not know that we are the temple? And what if the presence that manifests here this morning manifests on that neighborhood over there when we go to worship there? What if people from that neighborhood are drawn in to say, what are these people doing? And begin to hang around the fringes and, and the power of God touches them. And you say, that's really stretching, is it? Let me give you a real testimony. We used to do children's outreaches in some of the roughest neighborhoods on the reservation. Leslie actually ran that ministry. We would go in there and go in playing their music, but with worship words. And it would, like the Pied Piper, they'd be people and kids follow us to an empty lot or an empty parking lot. We'd open up that trailer and begin to have service on children's level. We'd look around us and in the balconies and on the porches of that housing, people would begin to come out or windows would open and people would begin to come out. Before very long, they started to come and they'd gather at the back of the parking lot or the back of the lot and watch us work with the kids. Now, here's what started to happen, and this is real. You can go check it if you want to. People started to fall out under the power watching those kids' services. So much that they called the cops. And the cops came and asked me, what's going on? I said, that's no problem. That's just the power of God touching them. They'll They'll be fine. But they had already heard enough of what was happening that they believed me. Why? Because I'd been going to the jail and seeing people fall out behind bars. And they knew that I was telling the truth. And they said, oh, cool, it's good. And then for the next few weeks when people would call in, they'd say, oh, that's all good. That's just God at work. And they would begin to say that. So when I say what if, I'm not not supposing and kind of blind wonder if it could happen. I'm doing the what if of having seen it happen of having stood before a congregation and watched people with no hands laid on them, watch one side of them just fall like dominoes, and you just look at it and you say, that's got to be God. I, I can't explain it. There's a substance and an evidence there that says, got to be God. I'm sure not going to believe it's the devil because I don't think he's that powerful. Matter of fact, I think he's a worm. Matter of fact, I think when we really actually see him that the scripture will be true, we'll look at him and say, is that the one? Is that the one that caused nations to tremble? That dried up, shriveled, raisin, prune looking thing? Is that the one? See, scripture already tells us what it is. But we've made him big. He's a big flashing angel with a sword and nonsense. He's a worm. He's already living out his time in the burning presence of God and nothing he can do about it. That's why if some of his little minions show up at my house, I just laugh. They're not going to be comfortable there. I promise. The Spirit of God rules there. It's just, man, who who am I going to give credit to in this thing? Walk of faith is just (laughs) do what you will. You're kind of funny. You're kind of humorous, but do what you will. You see, we have that choice in every situation. We can have it marked by fear, or we can have it marked by faith. And the world around us is almost always going to resist faith because faith draws attention to their fear. But that's all right. I'll live by faith. I'll be one of those crazy ones. I'll be one that... that one of the news commentators recently said, if, if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you've got to be off in the head. Yep, that's me. I'm off in the head, but right in the heart. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. Of Christ. When, when you're going into any situation, good or bad, and there's, that, there's a brief moment that, that you've got a, a response, you can, you can have that time where, where you can think, oh man, what God will do to you. And you take that in, or you can push that back and say, no, man, this is going to be rough. I'm going to die here. Yeah, man, if you're going to die here, well, then let's get it going. Let's move it. Let's do this thing, because God is going to do something. God is moving by his Spirit all over the earth. Signs and wonders when God moves. <laughs> oh, man, sometimes you just got to look for them. You say, if you think I'm joking and just having fun, I am. 
Well, I'm having fun because I've seen it. I've seen his mighty hand at work, and boy, you're going to have a hard time convincing me to stay in a dead, dry situation. And whatever it takes, let's move it. Let's do what we're designed to do. Let's cross that river. As soon as Israel crossed the river, they were confronted by what most theologians call a Christophany and Christ himself manifesting as the angel of the Lord. And Joshua says something like this, Are you for us or for them? And what was the answer? I'm the master of the Lord's host. I'm for him. So the real question is not, God, are you for us or are you against us? The real question is, God, how can I be in, involved in what you're doing? God, how can I be a representation of you on the earth? How can I, Lord, bridle my tongue so that I will speak life and not speak death? Because life and death is still in the power of the tongue. And it's up to you. Now, I'm not talking about conjuring up all these things that if I speak this enough times, it'll come into existence. But I'm talking about responding to that thing that is present within you and saying, yeah, let's see what God will do in this. Sai and I were talking about a situation recently, and I'm not going to go in detail that conversation because we have fun with it sometimes, and sometimes our fun would be offensive, wouldn't it? But, you know, but it was fun, wasn't it? And the thing is that we were talking about, I said this, I said, I'm, I'm going to go do it. I don't have a clue what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to present myself because I'm just going to go. And that's when we started having fun with what we might say, but we knew it wasn't God. <laughs> it was us. Uniquely us. But present yourself in difficult situations. Just see what God will do. Well, I don't speak well. Well, let him speak. Don't think about what you're going to say. Don't think about what you're going to do. Just present yourself. And if he does nothing, that's cool. They've had a presentation. If he does something, then it gets really cool. Because now you've got a move of God on your hands. Faith comes from hearing. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes by the word of Christ or the word concerning Christ or the word coming forth from Christ. And when you have that opportunity, it's up to you whether you, like Adam, when the breath of God first touched him, to draw it in. Or you got the opportunity to push it aside. I challenge you to live your life responding to him just with the, I'll take that, I'm scared to death, but here we go. Let's see what happens, God, and just go do it. Proverbs 4, 20, 21 says, Now my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not depart. Let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. That's how you live your life. Give attention to, attend to his words. Hear him. Folks, you can hear him. The enemy's desperate to make you think you can't hear him. You can hear him. You can hear him. I'm going to give attention to what he's saying. I'm going to start to look for an outlet in it. I'm, I'm going to start to, I'm going to start to do what he says to do. And I'll give another example out of my own life. I do this almost every Sunday morning that there's several young guys that I know are hitting some hard times and I'll call them on Sunday mornings because I know they're going to they're face their issues in a little bit. The, the weakness that they're certain is in them, they're going to face it in a little bit. So I call them and I say, how are you doing? What's God saying? What's happening today? What's happening in you? And get them to be, start to spark and to respond to something from God. And then when I leave that phone call, I know that they're going to go and embrace that thing. They're going to go and engage it. And guess what? God will be with them. It will be heaven on earth, and that's what will happen. And that's part of what has been such a blessing to me this week. I've gone into several situations that had the potential to be just dead. And I've gone in and just sat down and talked to people and watched the Spirit of God start to work. And then throughout the week, I've got these testimonies coming back. God did this. God did that. God did something else. And then I look on uh, Facebook Live and I see them having an outreach in Port Veneer in, in Mexico. And I'm thinking, man, that's right in cartel territory, right in cartel headquarters. That's right where they all cross. And then I'm going, glory to God. They're standing up. They're being that. They're grabbing by faith. Even I told Chelsea, I bet Rafa's knees are having fellowship one with the other, but he's up there doing it, you know. And it's just, folks, that's living by faith. 
And then I hear another testimony this morning, and I won't say where it's from, but that a man that some have wondered, but he makes a statement, I live by faith. And you don't see very many people doing that now and then. Hey, that tells me something about what's in his heart. And it's the answer to a lot of prayers. <laughs> I mean, for a man to stand up and say, I live by faith, I know Jesus is at work and alive and well, and he's doing something. Ah, Folks, if you could just understand, this is faith. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Oh, wait, I'm going to go back to that verse. Faith comes from hearing. That's a very interesting word used in the original, and I want you to, I want you to hear it. That word comes, I'm, I can imagine how the translators struggled with that, because when you get everything that is into that phrase, it literally means something like that, that there's a substance sent forth from something that shows up on the scene, basically. Think about that. Now, there is faith, that, that godly substance that God can give, sent forth from God that shows up as we hear him and respond to him and become something. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the King James Version of what I'm getting ready to read in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. Some would have you to believe that faith didn't arrive on the scene until the New Covenant. Nope. Faith arrived at creation. When God created, he gave him his bit of faith that which would be a seed and would grow. By it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds, the things that we see, are prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made of things which are visible. Mm -hmm. What you're made of had its origins in that which is not visible. Now hear me, the life you live had its origins in that which is not, not visible, whether it was light or darkness. And it all circled around what you chose to engage. Because if you engage a thought, processes, a thought process, your brain prepares you to receive that. And that, if you'll look it up, is science. By faith we gain approval. And it's simply by responding to that which has already been provided through grace. To declare it any other way is fear. You know, there's this thing of, well, I prayed, but God didn't do it. I quoted the scripture, but it didn't work. I tried it. I'm not talking about a scripture quoting. I'm not talking about praying. I'm not talking about trying it. I'm talking about embracing a lifestyle that declares, I will hear God. And to the best of my ability, I will respond to that. And I will bring that which is eternal into now. And by this, move forward in the kingdom of God on the earth. I'm going to leave that last passage of Scripture out because I want to work with that with a team for a while before I bring it to you. But remember out of last week that Jude said, Contend earnestly for the faith. <laughs> That thing that's already in you, that voice that whispers back there when other things are clamoring and demanding, there's still that voice that whispers, why don't you believe God? Contend earnestly for the faith. And by that, bring it into your world. In that same passage of Scripture in Jude, he said, don't bring that railing accusation against darkness. He said, even the angels don't do that. Contend earnestly for the faith. Don't... I tell you what, if you start engaging the spirits of darkness thinking you're going to somehow conquer them, you're going to wind up beat up. I promise you. Because you're picking fights, it's not your right to pick. When you have a champion that is going to continue to win every one of them for you, and all you got to do is declare that it's happening. And then stand back. And sometimes it's hard because sometimes you're under the storm, but you're standing back just waiting for the master of the storm. And he'll see you through.
walking by faith, living by faith. My job is not to make you feel comfortable. My job is to make you feel the stretch of the Spirit of God as He calls us into a life of faith. Saying, turn away from that thing that says by the work of your own brain and by the work of your own hands that you can build something called faith. Leave that presumption behind and operate out of that which was once given to the saints and contend earnestly for it because out of that will come the kingdom of God and it will be heaven on earth in your world. Father, we just ask you that the challenge of the Spirit would be real this week. God, that no one would be able to leave behind these words. God, there's been a fear in me that somehow I would leave this earth without ever having really addressed addressed the issues of faith. God, I want to address them, not just in the congregation, I want to address them in my life. And I want to spend every day laying hold of that which you provided. And Lord, I know that sometimes I'll say, what is it? God, I'm embracing it and ingesting it at the same time knowing that we live by faith and not by sight. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you do. I'm so thankful for your hand at work. Lord, this morning as I close in my spirit, I am beholding the goodness and the graciousness of my God. Fire, close fear.